The word rain means something extremely important today. At the conclusion of Super Bowl 52, one team will reign supreme in the world of professional football. And that word, the word rain, was important to Jesus as well. It was actually one of his favorite words to bring up with anyone who might listen. Now, we translate it using the word kingdom, but whatever the case, the kingdom of God or the reign of God was always on the lips of Christ. So if Jesus believes that the kingdom of God is worth exploring, and if he's always inviting people into it, then we would do well to explore it and perhaps even take more than a casual glance toward its beauty and its potential. So we'll ask this question at the onset and we'll pursue it throughout our time together. What does it look like for a person to live in the kingdom of God? How do we live within this reign where the glorious and powerful king is also a loving and sacrificial father? We believe any answer to that question begins when a person seeks Jesus. We ask a group of NFL players what it means for them to seek Christ. Their answers are insightful, reflective, honest, and at times surprising. Here's what they said about seeking Jesus. For a person to seek God, uh, I think it's, it's a person to seek truth. You know, I, I think our hearts always long to seek something, you know, to seek satisfaction, to seek gratification, to seek peace. It's something that that you have to that you have to do. You have to actually be in pursuit. We're called to not only just sit down and expect God to come to us, but we're called to chase after Him and seek after Him. You know, seek ye first the kingdom and uh, all His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I mean, it doesn't get any more blatant or plain than that. That it's important for us to get our priorities straight. thing about it man is like when you intentionally seek something it's for a purpose or a specific reason and I think you know in our hearts we're all longing for something we're all longing for that that peace and that joy and that satisfaction so usually when I'm seeking when I'm not seeking God I'm actually not reaching far enough I'm not even reaching my potential we put our heart into all these other things all these worldly things and we have to turn them from those things just to look at God because he's counter to all those things Seeking his kingdom is counter to seeking the world. And for me to seek God now, you know, I just look back on these times in my life where I'm, I'm you know, smack in the middle of uncertainty, where something happens, and I feel like that's my most peaceful times. Because I don't, I, I'm, you're literally walking blind. You're, you don't know what's next. Because of that uncertainty, it puts you in a, a place of seeking and understanding what real faith is about. Regardless of the situation, you know, that's kind of what, what Paul is talking about, whether I have you know, a little or I have a lot. I can do all things through Christ, and that's, that's really what that means. You know, and no matter the situation, we have to be seeking his face. Whether I'm trying to help somebody or change something, I'm like, I can't do it on my own. And that's when you kind of realize, okay, I've been put here to get this accomplished, but I can't do it on my own accord, and I continuously you know, seek guidance, seek wisdom. And like, I don't know how I'm going to get this done, but God, I, I need that direction. And you have to make time and be intentional about, you know, living that life of Christ and seeking him and seeking him in the most 
fundamental and most basic ways. No matter where you are in your relationship with Jesus, seeking him really is the foundation. You know, we find Jesus in those moments of seeking him. And ultimately, those also become the moments when we feel ourselves the most completely found. today as we get ready to jump into uh, this thought of reigning in the kingdom of God. We want to start by giving you a gift. Uh, you know, when I, I played uh, football in high school and uh, <laughs> we had a logo on the side of our helmet that identified our team. And uh, if you're home, folks, we want to give you uh, a logo that you can use to identify the team that we are on. We've got some, <laughs> uh, some window stickers here that uh, we ordered this last week, and I just put one of these on both of my vehicles. Now listen, you don't have to put this on your vehicle if you're saying, man, I ain't putting a sticker on my car, you're crazy. Uh, but we want to give this to you just to represent and to remind uh, us and others uh, of, of the team that we're a part of, that we're a part of the family of God, and we're so grateful for that. And so uh, if you've got two cars, take two of them. If you've got three cars, take three of them. Uh, <laughs> but we want to just give you that as, as a gift. This morning, and uh, you can you can do with that what you'd like. Now, I do want to tell you as we get into the word today. Well, as we've already gotten into the word today, uh, you're going to hear the word through many voices, and so I want to just in, encourage you for a few minutes before we go back to another testimony video. I want to encourage you on this thought of seeking. Seeking is where we <laughs> begin in the kingdom of God. And, and the way we do it is by focusing on a person, first of all. And the person is Jesus Christ himself. Uh, when Jesus was about to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world, he shared a last meal with his disciples. And it was during that meal, while he's explaining to them what's going to happen to him, they were consumed with what they were going to do and what was going to happen to them. And so Jesus begins to just communicate to them uh, and, and instill confidence in them. And the way he does it is with these words in John 14, verse 4. He told them, he said, you know the place <coughs> where I am going. And one of them said, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? But I want you to look at Jesus' reply in verse 6. He said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. And then he reiterates by saying, no one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, you got to understand the spiritual climate of this day that, that the disciples are living in and that Jesus is teaching in is, is a religious climate. It's one where those who are serving God, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious people, they feel like uh, they have to perform all of these laws, not just the Old Testament, but all the laws that they added to it. And as they fulfill all of, all of these religious duties, they climb the ladder uh, of acceptance into God's presence. And at the same time, <coughs> they, they look down on and they demoralize and, and demonize everybody that doesn't meet up to their standard. And so this is the, the culture of the day that, that the disciples are living in and that Jesus is speaking into. And, and honestly, I think it describes our culture today. 
There are still people that this morning, they feel like the reason that God accepts them, the reason that God loves them or approves of them is because they, they walk a straight line, because they keep their nose clean, because they keep up with all the commandments. And so long as they do that, everything's good with God. And I would dare say there's probably people on, on the flip side as well today as there was in this story that you would be here and you would say, God, God doesn't accept me or, or love me uh, because I've broken all these commands, because I haven't lived a, a perfect life, because I haven't quite measured up. But I want you to know today that Jesus came to establish a kingdom, and it wasn't by, <laughs> by adding more rules and things for us to do, but it wasn't by pushing all of that to the side either. In fact, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And so what Jesus does for us is he creates a new way, not by climbing a a, a religious ladder of systems and ordinances, but by seeking him, by seeking Jesus and surrendering your life, not to religion, but to a relationship. It, It begins for us, for anyone, with knowing who Jesus really is. And he said it so clearly in John 14, 6. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. (coughs) It was on this same thought that C.S. Lewis wrote in the book Mere Christianity, trying to convince people how, how clear this word is from Jesus about who he was. I want to read what he wrote to you. He said, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. And quote, this is what they say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God, end quote. Lewis goes on to say, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Lewis writes, either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet. And call him Lord and God. But let us not come, he says, with patronizing nonsense about his being a good human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The words of Jesus are are, are so polarizing, so defining a line in the sand that you have to decide either he is a liar or a lunatic or he's the Lord of all. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to God. I'm not one of many paths to heaven. It's me or no way. And so he forces us to make a decision about who he is. And so when we place ourselves, when we find ourselves in the kingdom of God, by seeking Jesus, we make room for the king. And so the way to get into the kingdom is by seeking the king of the kingdom. That's what Hebrews talks about. 
correlates our faith with a race. Hebrews 12, 1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And here's what we're to do once we've broken free from what holds us back. He says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. How do we do it? Look at the next verse. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Listen, seeking the kingdom is about seeking a person. It's about seeking Jesus. Not a religious system, not a church. It's about seeking a person. But secondly, it's about a priority. It's about having a right priority. I, I love hearing the, the testimonies of these professional athletes, and you're going to hear some more in just a moment. But I love hearing it because these are the people that our culture epitomizes, and we put up on a pedestal, and I know there are lots of sports fans, but I would dare say that there's nobody here or watching online that loves or cares more about the game of football than the guys that are under the helmets. And yet here they are giving a testimony to us today saying that, that my priority is the kingdom of God. It matters more to me than this game. And, and that verse that we looked at a moment ago, Matthew 6, is Jesus talking about the priority of the kingdom of God. And he said these words. I want you to see it again. But seek first. <coughs> again, this is Jesus speaking. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, he writes. And all these things will be given to you as well. You see, because Jesus is the king in this kingdom, he absolutely must be first in your life. That old saying is true. If you don't make Jesus Lord of all, he won't be Lord at all. He has to have the place of preeminence in your heart and in your life. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to talk about how to do that, what that looks like to make Jesus first in your heart and in your life. But first, I just want to give you some really good news. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. And the prophet writes these words from the Lord. You will seek me. And find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Can I tell you why that's good news today? Because it communicates to anyone and everyone that will seek him that you'll find him. That God is not hiding from you. No, what God is doing is he is hiding for you. It's kind of like I used to play hide and seek with my daughters when they were younger. We don't do it much anymore but I had to make sure I could hide in a place that was hard enough to build some anticipation, but not too hard that I spent an hour and a half in the closet, <laughs> right? Because the truth is, I was never hiding from them. I was hiding for them. Because the best part of the game is when your kid finds you, and you can jump out, and they're scared, but they know you love them, and so they laugh, and you embrace them. And that's the moment that God wants with his, I mean, he's holy, he's awesome. We should approach him with fear and trembling, but when we find him, we break out in laughter and joy. He's not hiding from you. He's hiding for you today. And the invitation is this, if you'll seek him with all of your heart, you'll find him. Jesus was teaching the disciples about prayer in Luke 11, 
It's where we get the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And, and after he teaches them that prayer, he continues on his discourse about connecting with God. And he says these words in Luke chapter 11, verse 19, or verse 9 through 13. He said, so I say to you, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is talking about pursuing God, pursuing the kingdom. He's talking about the priority of going after his presence. And then he, he illustrates it for them. And I think all of us could understand this illustration. He says these words, which of you fathers... If your son asked you for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or <clears throat> if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? Now, I would probably use different illustrations than that, but, <laughs> but you get it. Then Jesus goes on to say this. He said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now let me just remind you, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. So what Jesus is saying is simply what we read in Jeremiah. He's saying, if you will seek, you'll find. If you go after God, God will go after you. Seek, ask, knock, and you shall receive. I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit is waiting for someone to pursue the kingdom of God. And it begins... With seeking. If one hallmark of life in God's kingdom is seeking Christ, the next mark is one that might feel more difficult, more sacrificial, and quite frankly at times more painful. The word is surrender. In Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul implores us to become what he calls living sacrifices. And our NFL players had much to say about what this means. The word surrender to me is always one that I struggle with because to me it deals with responsibility. Where usually you, you think of it as a place of weakness, for me it's freeing because the responsibility is no longer on me, it's on God. It's more of a sign of entrusting, I would say, at least in terms of what you're giving to the Lord. I think that's a word that has a lot of layers to it. You know, and so you talk about surrender, I mean, you know, it's different in the game because I'm out there yelling to my team, never surrender, never retreat. But when it comes to God, it's, it's totally different. The notion when we hear surrender, it takes such a negative tone because we feel like it means give up, it means quit. When you surrender, you're giving up to things that are, that are gonna suffocate you anyway. And he's calling you into a life that in some respects may be different than what you believe is gonna satisfy you, but it's ultimately gonna bring you peace. There's many times where it's difficult to surrender to God. I think one of the main ones is probably when, when trials and tribulations hit because we're, we're trying to control it so much ourselves. I think everybody's default would go back to some form of selfishness. And for me, it just came to a point where I just got tired. I got tired of 
living that life. I got tired of living a double life. I've always wanted to know I'm going to be on this team for this amount of time and, you know, really have my future set. So that was selfishly just wanting to know everything was going to be okay. You know, and I think for me, the course of my career being the way it has been, um, it's continued to put me in a space of faith all the time. You know, it's a fight. You know, it's a fight with the devil. It's a fight with the enemy. It seems so backwards. Why? Why do I give all these things up that make me feel good? Right? That, that seems backwards. But there is such a greater joy. There's such a greater happiness and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. God's saying, hey, listen, you can give up and completely let go of whatever it is because I'm worth it. In turn, you're going to be giving, getting something by giving up a little. You're going to be getting something so much greater. I've heard all the, the, the sayings, you know, don't tell God how big your problem is. Tell your problem how big your God is. And, and, but when it really, when re, you're in the midst of it for real, you know, all those cliche sayings kind of just go out the window. And you're sitting there like, no, nah, I can handle it. And you, you want to just, you know, do it yourself so bad. But you really gain power through him when you surrender and let him take care of it. God wants everything. He wants your entire life. He wants it all because he knows how to use it the best. All the pressures of, of worldly expectations and standard are gone. All those things that used to weigh me down, I think it's not, it's not mine anymore. I don't have to worry about it because I've surrendered. When you surrender the things that you, know, you want to hold on to and say, I've, I did this, you know, I got it to the NFL. When you finally surrender those, those strongholds, you are free and you're at peace. And there's no peace like the covering of Jesus Christ. I love what Josh McCown said about surrender. He said, quote, when you surrender, you're giving up the things that will suffocate you anyway. So what if God has bigger plans for us than we could ever dream? All for his glory. And what if our lifestyle of surrender provides us with the oxygen we need to accomplish our God-given purpose? There's a story in Mark chapter 10 uh, that I, I want to just put your attention to for a second. Starting in verse 17, uh, it says this, as Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Notice the posture the man took. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. I love that verse. Uh, Jesus was really saying, uh, you're right in calling me good because I'm God. <laughs> he said, you know the commandments. He told the man, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And I can almost see the man in his mind going, yep, did it, got it, yep, check, 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 yep, I'm good. He responds in verse 20, he's a teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And then Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love that 
There's a lot of people that feel like measuring up, checking off all the boxes, keeping all the rules, walking a straight line is the determining factor of God's love in their life. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus looks at you the same way he looked at this religious young man. He looked at him and he loved him. Even though he knew he couldn't possibly have kept all those commands. Look at what Jesus said to him next, though. One thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Verse 22 says, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. All three of the synoptic gospels tell the story of this man. And they describe him as the rich young ruler. It could describe the athletes that are playing in the big game today. They're wealthy, they're young, and they're reigning champions. And yet, in one word, Jesus could have answered this man's question, what do I have to do to be saved? Essentially, what Jesus was saying to him was this, surrender. He looked into the man's heart. He saw the one thing in his life that mattered more to him than his relationship with God. For this young man, it happened to be money. And so Jesus said, if you'll surrender that, you'll have eternal life. When it comes to surrendering to God, what it really means is just yielding control. If there's any area of your life that is not yielded to the control of God, that's the thing that he would speak to you about if you were to come to him the way this man did. Surrender it and you'll have life. The things of the world that want to suffocate you, the things of the world that want to choke out the life of God and the kingdom of God in your life, can I just tell you today, they're not always bad things. Oftentimes, we can point out the obvious things, the things that we shouldn't do, Christianity aside, just a moral issue. There's things we know we shouldn't do. Those things are obvious, but I want to tell you today, anything, anything that takes priority in your life over God can become an idol. That thing becomes an idol. Can I just remind you that, you know, when you look in Genesis and you read that story of Adam and Eve, the Bible says that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Can I just tell you today that it wasn't the evil side of the tree that they were attracted to? It was the good side. The temptation from Satan was that you could eat of this tree and you'll be like God. They saw God as good and holy. He was, he was everything they ever wanted to be. They weren't attracted to something that was evil. They were attracted to the good side of the tree. You know, in the church, a lot of times we say God is good all the time. And that's true. But you know what else I've found to be true? That good is not always God. See, sometimes a good thing can be the enemy of a God thing. And whatever that thing is in your life that matters more than him, that's the thing that we have to surrender. That's the thing that we have to lay down. So the question to ponder today is, what is that thing in my life that is suffocating me from my relationship with God? What is holding me back from full surrender to him? Genesis tells us that when God formed man out of the dust of the earth, he breathed on him. He breathed in his nostrils the breath 
of life. And can I tell you that when you surrender everything to God, essentially the same thing happens in your spirit, man, as what happened in the flesh. Jesus, when he was uh, empowering the disciples to go out and to live a life fully surrendered to him, this is what the Bible says happened in that moment. John chapter 20 and verse 22 says, and with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, when you surrender your life to God, the Holy Spirit breathes oxygen into your life. You receive the purpose of God. You essentially enter into the kingdom of God. And I'm going to tell you today, there is nothing that's more satisfying, nothing that's more fulfilling than knowing that your life is being lived out in the purpose of God. That you are breathing in His presence and exhaling out His purpose for your life. I, I, I love hearing these testimonies of the athletes. Those of you that have followed uh, the game this season know that the Philadelphia Eagles have had to overcome a lot of adversity. A lot of injuries and a lot of things like that. And, and may, maybe, you know, you're praying for a win. I got to be honest. I don't know that God even cares who wins the Super Bowl. But I do know this. God cares about what happens in the hearts of his people. And so I want you to watch a testimony about some of the wins that have been taking place off the field this year. It's just authentic community. You know, guys are, are talking about their struggles. Guys are talking about the things that they're working through, the things that, you know, are, are going well in their lives, the things that are, you know, difficulties, whatever it might be. You know, the biggest thing about the guys in the locker room is that uh, there's a bunch of unselfish players. You know, it's a really you know, tight-knit group. It's really what a team should be. These are guys that not only love me as a player, but encourage me more so off the field to stay true to the word. Um, to be in the Word, to consistently seek growth. My relationship with God is the only reason why I'm playing football. You know, every time I'm out in the field, um, I'm not trying to bring my name glory. I'm trying to bring God's name glory because He's the one who's given me the opportunity and um, you know, really paved the way for you know me to be here in this position I'm in now. When I'm focused on Him, everything else can be scattered. Everything else can be hectic, and I'm at peace and I'm level. And um, you know, I think ultimately that's the love and the grace and the beauty of, of Christ and having a true relationship with him. My relationship with Jesus is second to none. Last year um, was the first year that I truly dedicated my life to Christ. I got baptized in March and with Jesus in my life, I know exactly who and why I'm playing this game. This team really has become um, a brotherhood that has actually even gone even into the coaches and the players. They truly are a family. Carson went down, it was obviously tough for the team. Um, a guy that was pretty much the rock of the team. And when he got hurt, everyone was extremely devastated. We were obviously playing uh, extremely well. You know, we were on pace to go in the NFC East. We were just really clicking. Offensively, we've been playing really well throughout the game. I almost felt like I was playing as fast and as like just carefree in a good way. Just like, I felt like I was in total control out there and potentially like had to feel for the game that I probably hadn't had on that level yet. Um, I just felt this probably as good as ever. And uh, I scrambled around and dove in and 
Didn't think much of it. And I started standing up and I realized, okay, my leg, my left leg, something's wrong. Every time I stepped, I just, I could not put pressure on it. I could barely walk. And so I stayed in there for four more plays. Two of them were runs and I caught the ball, handed off. I usually carry out my fake and do everything and that wasn't happening. And then he called a pass and I'm like, okay, I got to get the ball out. Um, I can't stand here very long and threw it. It was incomplete. I just turned and put my head down and started walking off. I'm thinking third down. And the coach was like, no, 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 go back out there. Fourth down, we're going for it. I'm like, all right, here we go. As I'm like struggling just to walk back to the huddle. And I was just like, okay, well, I hope they, um, my first read's open. I'm like, something's got to happen. Of course not. Um, I just stood in there, stood in there. Someone finally started breaking through the line, and I just kind of threw it in the direction of Alshon and Nelly. Like, and it was all, it was all a gift from God that that was completed for a touchdown. Usually I'm running in there to celebrate and have fun with my guys, and I just said, okay, cool. And I walked straight to the train. I'm like, we need to go in that tent. Something's wrong. And uh, I just remember saying, Jesus, 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 like over and over, like, I need you, I need you. Trainers were looking at it, doing their tests, and I honestly wasn't even really paying attention to their tests. I was just laying back, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the only one that could make it better, and he's the only one that could provide me peace. And at the same time, I'm like, your will, because I knew I needed him emotionally, physically, um, kind of everything in that moment. Woke up and from the surgery and felt okay. And then the next day came and I felt miserable. It was one of the worst days of my life because I just, I couldn't even sleep. Like there was just so much pain and you never think you're gonna be that guy. Um, and I'm just like, oh, this is me now. I am that guy, this is reality for me and how am I gonna come back from it? To know like all the pain I'm going through and to think of what Jesus went through for me, it made me recognize a deeper level of love than I think I ever have really felt in a long time. It's always easy to say he's in control of everything, but the more I recognize, like I need him in literally every moment of every situation when I can't even walk and do things, um, the more I realize like he's got everything in the palm of his hand. You just have to know and be comfortable knowing that this is exactly where God has us. We know that he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't pace back and forth. He's seated on the throne. And he knows that this is exactly where we need to be. And just this whole season, you know, guys have stepped up, backups have stepped up. Guys have prepared like they were going to be the starter you know, going into that game, even though they weren't. And um, they were just ready for their, their number to be called. I think that's what's made this year so amazing is how this entire team, players, coach, staff, secretaries, just coming together for this common cause uh, of family. You know, it's one thing for us to say God's in control uh, when you're celebrating in the end zone of life. It's one thing to say uh, all glory to God when they're handing you a trophy. It's easy to say, you know, God is in control when everything's going well, right? How many of you know it's different when, when instead of uh, celebration, you have setbacks? It's different to say God is in control when instead of getting ready to play in the game of your life, you're laying on your back preparing for surgery, not knowing what the future holds. And, and the stories and the testimonies that we're hearing are, are so powerful to me because I think it's something we can all relate to. And a verse that was mentioned earlier, I, I want to just... Look at one more time. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul makes this statement about what we're able to do because of Christ. Look at it with me. He says, I can do all 
this through him who gives me strength. Now, we would love to take that verse and apply it in a way that says, I can, I can conquer my enemies. I can overcome. I can be successful. I can win the awards. I can get the promotion. I can do all those things through Christ who gives me strength. But that's not what Paul was saying. What Paul was saying is, I can handle whatever the situation is, whether I'm blessed or whether I'm persecuted, whether I have plenty or whether I, I feel like I'm abandoned. Whether everything is going great for me or, or everything seems to be falling to pieces, I can do it all through him who gives me strength. And, and that's what we heard in this testimony from, from Carson Wentz. You know, the reality is at 6.30 later today, the Patriots and the Eagles are going to be kicking off the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 52. But the reality is that guy is not going to be playing in the game. And if he had cared more about a career, more about a trophy than he did a heavenly reward, it might have been enough to rock his faith. But just like all the other players that we heard from today, he, he made a decision to seek first the kingdom. And he did it by, by seeking the person of Jesus. And he did it by making it the priority of his life. And then surrendering, saying, God, whether everything goes the way I want it to go, I'm seeking you first. Or if none of this plays out the way my childhood dreams envisioned it, God, I'm still seeking you first in the celebrations and in the setbacks. But listen, you and I know today it's not about the Patriots and the Eagles. It's about the kingdom of God in your heart, in my heart. That's what today is all about. And I just want to tell you, the Jesus that we sang about, the kingdom that we've celebrated, he is the ultimate example of what it looks like to seek. You don't have to look any farther than Jesus. He said in Luke 19.10, this is the reason I came. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. And he went after us with a bulldog tenacity. Nothing would deter him from his mission to seek and to save the lost. And when it comes to surrender, there's no example greater than Jesus. He had the authority to lay down his life and to take it up again. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested and crucified, Jesus prayed. He said, God, if there's any way you can take this cup from me. He was talking about suffering. Lord, in my flesh, I don't want to suffer. If there's any way you can take this cup of suffering from me, nevertheless, he said, not my will, but yours be done. It was Jesus saying, in the victories, I'm totally surrendered to you. And in the crucifixion, I'm totally surrendered to you. God, I give you everything. Now, now you've listened attentively today to my voice and to the testimony of these athletes, but as, as James Brown comes back on the screen for a few moments, I want to challenge you to listen for another voice. Listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit, because I believe he wants to speak to us about the kingdom of God today in our own hearts, in our own lives. Watch this video. And now it's your turn. Maybe something inside of you, something at the soul level, 
is acknowledging that you've been pursued your entire life by the great king of the kingdom, by the father who gave his only son for you. It's like a light has been turned on and the love he has for you is worth dying for. And maybe you're just tired and exhausted from running away from that love. What if today is the day you simply stop running, turn toward God and say, I give up. I surrender. I receive your great love for me. If you'd like to begin a journey with Jesus today, I invite you to pray with me now. There's nothing magic about this prayer, but it's simply a way of expressing the true attitude of your heart. In this way, you can know without a doubt that you have become a child of God. God, I surrender to your pursuing and unconditional love for me, and I choose to love you in return. I want my life to become wrapped inside of a kingdom where you are my king and my father. Please forgive me for rejecting your love. I truly am sorry. And I fully embrace the death of Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe that on the third day, you raised Christ from the dead and that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. If you said that prayer with me, let me be the first to welcome you into the kingdom of God. Welcome to his holy family. Please tell someone about the decision you just made today, a pastor, the person who brought you to Football Sunday, or a friend who's a Christian. You just went from death to life. And that story, my friend, is worth shouting from the rooftops. Today, I want to just say to you that there's something amazing that, that God does in this moment of salvation. And maybe there's some in this room that have just prayed that prayer and believed in your heart. You might be sitting here saying, well, what happened? What's different? Well, the Bible tells us what's different. The Bible says that if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. She's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. Say, well, I don't look new. I don't feel different. The Bible says we live by faith and not by sight. We're saved by grace through faith. So what we're doing in this moment is we're not looking for a, a magical feeling, goosebumps up and down our spine, though sometimes we feel it. I feel it right now. That's not what we're looking for. We're taking a step of faith towards Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what the other miracle is. When he saves you, he puts you on a team. Jesus said, I'm building my church. And not even the gates of hell will overcome it. There's something powerful about being a part of the church. I'm not talking about having your name on a roll. I'm not talking about being a member. I'm talking about being a part not the local church, the capital C church, the kingdom of God. Because the truth is, you know, if you'll indulge, indulge one more football analogy, 
That quarterback we heard testify, Carson Wentz, he's not playing today. But if somehow his team pulls off a win, he's getting that ring. How many of you know he's getting the ring? Because on the day where you feel defeated, on the day where you feel injured, on the day where you feel like you can't quite muster the strength, you've got a team that's fighting for you. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. That's what it means to be a part of the family of God. So if you prayed that prayer in your heart and you said, God, I, I'm seeking you today and I'm surrendering my life to you. We want to celebrate with you. We want to cheer for you. We want to clap for you. We want to rejoice with the angels of heaven. So if that's you and God's done a work in your life today, I want to ask you if you would just be so bold as to just raise a hand and say, Pastor, that was me. I prayed that prayer today. I'm coming into the kingdom. Praise God. Anyone else that would say, that was me. I prayed that prayer today. I meant it from my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Come on, can we just celebrate with these that have just said, today is my day. Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Now, here's what we want to do at the conclusion of this service. I feel so strongly as we were leading up to today that there are many of us that, that there are just things that want to take priority in our seeking. It's not that we've turned from God. It's not that we're not still pursuing him, but we've allowed something else to become the priority. And if Jesus were to look you in the eye and have a conversation with you today, just as surely as he spoke to that young, rich, young ruler and said, you need to surrender, he would say that to you. There's something in your life you need to surrender. It may be a good thing. It may be that your career's on the right track and it's become the main thing in your life. It, Maybe a bad thing, circumstances that have just crushed your faith and have caused you to turn away from trusting in God. I don't know what it might be, but I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit wants to breathe oxygen into your soul. If you'll surrender those things that are suffocating your faith. So I'm going to ask everyone right now if you'd stand with me. We're going to stand together, and I'm going to ask some of our prayer team to just come and join me in this altar. And if you raised your hand a moment ago... We want to pray for you. We want, to, we want to pray with you about the work that God's doing in your life. But I want to extend this beyond that because I, I believe there's many of us that the Holy Spirit's just talking to us about some things that we need to seek and surrender and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us to do what He's called us to do in the kingdom. So I want to ask you, if the Lord's speaking to your heart, would you come? Would you let us pray for you at the conclusion of this service? Thank you. Just come and, and move towards these altars and allow someone to come in agreement with you as we take just a few moments right now to seek the Lord together. Anyone else? Say, that's, that's me. I just, want, I just want to pray with somebody and agree with someone about what God's speaking. I want to ask you to do something. Those of you that are still standing, would you be so bold as to just... Turn to the people that are next to you and say, is there anything in your life that you need to surrender to God today? And if they say yes, would you just come with them and let's pray together before we leave this house today? Go ahead. I want to challenge you. Ask someone, is there anything in your life 
you need to surrender to God today. Come on, let's encourage each other today. God, we just want to make a statement of faith today as your people. Lord, you have the throne of our lives. Take your rightful place today, God, in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, let everything about us be secondary to your glory. And if God, you, if you want to make our success a platform for you to be glorified, then God, God, we will stand. (coughs) We will stand on that platform of success. And we will point with our finger and with our heart towards you and say, God, it's all for you and for your glory. But God, even if you want to use our failure, even if you want to use our disappointments, even if you want to use our unmet expectations and hopes and dreams, as the platform for your glory, then God, we will stand at that place too. And we will say that God, your glory and our eternal reward means more than the temporary crowns that this earth can offer us. God, today, we make a declaration that we are going to seek you with all of our hearts. And we will find you. And Lord, we will surrender our whole selves to your reign. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. God, we worship you today with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we give God praise one more time today? (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Listen, we still have a lot of food back there. It's the advantage of coming to the second service. But before we leave, I'm going to ask you to be seated one final time. I'm going to give James Brown the last word, and you'll be dismissed after this video plays. Toward the end of C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle, one of the characters sums up what all the other characters are feeling. And my hunch is that you might be feeling it too. He stomped his right foot on the ground and then cried out, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it until now. You know, life in the kingdom is that home we've all been looking for all of our days, whether we knew it or not. It's where we belong. It's our real country. Seek, surrender, serve. And friends, whatever you do today, whoever you're with, wherever you go, I pray that you laugh and play and cheer and pretend that you're a kid again playing on an elementary school football field. The honor has truly been mine.
to spend this time together with you. It's Super Bowl 52. God bless you, and by all means, enjoy the game.